I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's show is full of stories and inspiration from those stories. Our guest is Adam Weber, the Chief People Officer and Co-Founder of Implify. Adam works every day to help people realize and activate their full potential. At Implify, he helps lead an innovative, highly engaged culture and shares those learnings with strategic people leaders all over the world. He's an expert and speaker on employee engagement, culture, team performance, and leadership development. Earlier this year, he was named to Business Insider's list of rising stars in human resources and is the author of Lead Like a Human. I got a sneak peek into the book and was impressed with Adam's ability to bring the concepts to life through his personal story. His authenticity and vulnerability shine through. Adam is a proud Ball State University alum holding a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in organizational communication. He lives with his wife, two sons, and a dog in Zionsville, Indiana. During our conversation, he highlights key lessons from diving into entrepreneurship and being thrust into management. He also shares specific guidance on how to make decisions in the midst of a crisis. Check it out. For one, I am a uh, decidedly wandering entrepreneur. So I, I stumbled into this journey of entrepreneurship, and I'll give you just the, the quick overview of how I got here. I started a church actually right out of college. I was a musician, and then that stumbled into kind of a weekly job at a church, which then ended up as an academic advisor. And all this to say that I was just basically spent the first 10 years of my career without a lot of focus and without a lot of purpose. And I happened to have met someone uh, 10 years into my career who was a college senior, and he pitched an idea for a tech company, and we started it together. And um, that's how I I got into entrepreneurship really was just through a a series of kind of learning about myself and getting to know who I was and what I was capable of. And I took a chance and truly that decision really changed my life. Um, And it propelled what what I've been doing for the last eight years, which is starting technology companies and and, uh, now kind of that great merger of being able to do a technology company that's tied to my, my passion of helping all people achieve their true potential at work. Yeah, that's so good. You you say that it's a series of learning about yourself that has led you to where you are. Tell us a little bit more about that. It's interesting like in writing the book too because like there was a lot of moments um through that where I did a lot some in some ways some self-discovery <laughs> and and learning about um these different moments in my life and and I think what what really the common thread and and just one quick example was like I became the head pastor of a church when I was 25 years old, and I'd never given a sermon in my life. <laughs> and it was just through a through a decision of, of someone else, uh, m- made a poor decision. I got thrust into this brand new church, it was almost 300 people. And that first week, I had this moment where I was like, how am I going to like help keep this thing together? Um, where when I, I have like no tangible experience, like to, to do this job. And, and the reason I share that story is more because it, it, it was in that moment of like leaning in to that, that I asked myself this question, like, so what am I to learn here? Like, what is there right now for me? And that was probably the most dramatic example, but I think all throughout my career, even in, in startups and entrepreneurship, there's just this constant 
question because it changes. There's no steadiness to it. Um, and, and so it's just asking myself that question, what is there for me to learn here right now? And I would even say over these past eight years in entrepreneurship, that has been the daily question. And, and I always like to like to reinvent my role almost every 12 weeks. I say I pretty much have a brand new role every 12 weeks. And, and that's held relatively true this whole time. Well, and sometimes it can change within the day, can't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you called yourself a wondering entrepreneur. So being thrust into management after pastoring a church, tell us about that transition. My business partner, Santiago, and I, we started a company called Bluebridge eight years ago. It was a mobile app development company. So think we basically build an easy way to build mobile apps at kind of the start of the iPhone. So think like Squarespace or Wix, but for mobile apps. And we neither one of it, this is both of our very first businesses. And we got really fortunate. Our goal our first year was like, let's win 32 customers. And by the end of that first year, we had 100 customers. And we were really both like thrown not only into like startup, but also into a little bit of success. And that little bit of success meant we had to grow and scale our team as well. And so I ended up having a team of five by the end of my first year, and I'd never managed anybody in my life. And so I think that was really the beginning of, of my foundation of, of learning how to manage, of learning how to get the best out of people. And, and really, I think through that kind of finding some of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about, too, like watching other people develop. Well, and you talk in the book about going deeper. Uh, one of the things that you highlight is values and not just espousing values or having the values on the wall, but really getting to know what you value. How has that played out in your leadership? Well, I think with values, you said it well. I have this belief that for the most part, companies check the box and say they have values, but their values aren't actually aren't activated. And that was one of the things that for me that I wanted to change inside of our own organization. I wanted I wanted the values that we created to be so woven into our DNA that when people see them, it's like at our company, they almost say, of course, <laughs> and they feel assessed by it. They, they feel like their success inside of the company isn't just what I do, but it is how I do it. And I think that extra layer to value or to that is how you know when your values are activated is is not what am I doing? It is the how am I doing it as well? How do you instill that in new team members? I think the essence of that first is that the core values have to be true. And so with all team members and there is a, a full process of really uncovering who you are and what makes your organization unique. Like there are people listening right now who there's somebody else listening who has the exact same company as you. <laughs> they have the same product. They have basically the same value propositions. And so what truly makes you, you? And doing the work to uncover that and then leaning in and living that out is the number one way to bring new people into that. And that means we celebrate people through those values. We recognize them. We promote. We hire based on those values. And we integrate situational questions to understand if those values are exhibited by the people that we hire. So, so that's one part. And then the other part, I think, is just I'm a big believer in story and helping a new employee really understand the story of the business and the story of the values. And, and so, yes, there's some educational component, but our ability to retain information. So say, for example, somebody in onboarding, of course, we, we, we share the values in the onboarding. 
But to have it be a part of their life, it has to actually be integrated and activated inside the culture too. Yeah, that's good. And hearing a story about a values and action, I mean, that's, that's going to stick with people. They're going to remember that. One of the first things we did when we activated our, because we, so we did a refresh of our values because we, we started this company, Blue Bridge. We did it for four years. We were fortunate enough to sell the company and we kept almost everybody to start Implify, which is this employee engagement company. And we're kind of this, we're, we feel really fortunate. We get to do this topic, spend our time and our effort and energy on this topic that we love. And we also, we get to serve other companies with employee engagement, but like the bar is very high when you lead an employee engagement company. And so one of the things with values, when we, we realized like, we need to rethink, like, were the values of Blue Bridge, the values of Amplify, like, are they the same? And we went through this process of reimagining our values and, and reactivating them. And one of the ways that I think was the most effective was as before we released them, we started to share them with small pockets of people. And instead of getting their feedback, like, what do you think of this value? What do you think of this value? It was, can you share a story? of when this value was lived out. Name the person and tell the story. And we went on this kind of story collecting journey where by the end, we had a full library of examples of the values already lived out before we even launched them. And I, I think that gets to the essence of values is that they should already be true. We're not, you know, they, they already do exist. It's how do we, how do we capture those and collect those? Well, yeah, and, and what a great way to validate through like looking for evidence of when they showed up. Exactly. And and I think through that process, it helped us um, consolidate some of our values too, or realize where ones were overlapping when some stories were familiar. And so it actually was a, still a process of us like honing in on what those values were as well. Yeah. So, so as you're diving into entrepreneurship with Blue Bridge, no doubt your values were so important in leading the way. I really appreciate your point about really getting clear on what those values are for you. And then as Implify came to be, like thinking about how to reimagine those with this new organization. So clearly values have been a pivotal part of your journey. Yeah, exactly. And I think with, with Implify, it was, it was a really fun experience to have like a second chance to do the values with the same people even because the, and, and there, there was, there's goodness to it, to a business starting um, like a, a brand new business. Like when, when Santiago and I started Blue Bridge, like it was very raw and authentic. And we made those values sitting at his kitchen table. <laughs> there wasn't formality and knowledge and we weren't, you know, following formalized processes, but with Amplify, one of the things that was really powerful about it was that it was it was bigger than just us. It wasn't just the two of us. We were we were incorporating cross departmental team. Actually, what we did was we had the employees nominate one person from their department who already lives our values, the unknown value, future values, and uh, so it created this really. It, there were people from all levels inside the org that participated, and we all got together and um, so that that small committee basically. And we did what's called a hot pin exercise where you write about the culture five years in the future and you get 15 minutes and you just write about a specific day and time that really ex exemplifies the culture. And that was really the foundation of how we built and rediscovered those values was listening to each of the narratives of the different people. I think there were maybe seven of us that were a part of this committee or this group. And then from there, the theme started to emerge. And then we started to think through, well, which of these can we make measurable to help someone know, like, am I living these out? 
it was it was a really neat process. So from from that, then we all kind of we we created that that core list plus how I know if I'm living it, and then we captured those stories. And then once we had the stories, that was when we we launched after that. So that's the depth that you talk about in the book, right? I mean, you've definitely peeled back the layers to to reimagine those values through that work. It 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 evolved quite a bit from you and Santiago initially with Bluebridge sitting at the kitchen table identifying the values. Exactly. And I think whether it's values or or anything related to culture, I think that for any business leader who who's listening like one of the core challenges I think to solve of a scaling business is how do we take the organic culture that exists at the top of the org, like at, or at the beginning of the org, and start to create repeatability and structures and scale around it? And values is one way to do it. That's why, obviously, we're so passionate about engagement measurement, because it gives visibility to that moment in time where the organic goodness of our culture that sat, like it happened so naturally, starts to take some systems and processes to, to make it come to life. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I mean, I, I thought about like bringing people together around a shared foundation. Like that's what you did in getting people together to, and listening to their narratives and then identifying themes. Like those shared values create such a strong foundation then from which to move forward. And if you think about layering around that, because we're really focusing on the values, but if you think about for an employee, and, and this matters too, by the way, like if you think about how the workforce has changed, the average employee today, a shared sense of values with their company is one of the three most important things, leadership, authenticity, professional development, and the purpose values of the business. So to create this really well-rounded view of this and how you create like an activated employee, you also, you know, you've got kind of like the, here's our DNA or here are our values. You have the, here's why we exist and our purpose. Like this is sort of the, this is the ultimate thing we're doing that's deeper than what we produce. There's a story behind that as well. And then the vision, which is where we're going. And then if there's one other layer, it'd be the meaning, which is, and here's how your role is, and here's how you yourself, as you go through this journey, will find fulfillment as well. And so really to create that full, robust, highly engaged culture, it's all four of those things working in tandem with one another. Um, setting a vision for the future, having a noble purpose to exist beyond just the product you produce, having individuals understand their role in that journey, and everyone inside the company aligning, okay, so we're going to go do that, and we're doing it because of this, and to take it all the way back to values, and here's how we're going to do it. Here are the ground rules or the table stakes that are going to exist as we do this. And that's why you titled your book, Lead Like a Human, because all of those are, I mean, that is about connecting with those universal human traits that we all need. Connection, meaning, purpose, understanding how I fit into it, understanding the value that I bring. And I bring it back all the way to, you'd asked me earlier, like, what was that kind of pivotal moment. And it was really when I was thrust into leadership and lead like a human really goes back to that because I didn't have, I didn't have a, a leader to exhibit to me what it meant to treat other people, like to see the best in other people, to see their potential, to call them to a higher standard. And what I call leading like a human, right? I saw that the kind of a different approach, which was more authoritative. And it was like, dogmatic and it was hey this is what i expect and you should be happy to work here 
And so, of course, the very first time I get thrust into management, who did I become? I became the person that I saw exhibited before me. And I just didn't like it. Like it just, it wasn't motivating to my team. I didn't go home every day feeling authentic about who I was as a leader. And I um, was fortunate enough to get to the business to a spot where I go, you know what? Like, this is my journey now. Like, I want to do this on my terms. And I want to look back on this season and be proud of how I lead. And so that was really the spirit of where this lead like a human concept came from. And and, and really now I feel like I'm on a mission and why Amplify exists is I want to create a, a, an entire workforce of leaders like that who fundamentally believe that their employees are, are valuable and are capable of far more than they even realize. And what great leaders do is they help bring along their employees on that journey. Well, and isn't there a, oh, I just, I get so fired up listening to that and, and, and reading the book because the the sentiment that, that keeps coming to mind for me is just like letting all of the, the ego and the attitude and the pride and the, just letting it fall away to get back to who we naturally are. Because what you described, like that's, that's our natural state. That's our human. I mean, and that's exactly why we started this, this podcast being at work, like being a human at work. Isn't that who we're meant to be? That is so spot on. And it gets to this, this concept that I've, I've said before, which is like something happened in the workforce where all of these amazing people who are amazing parents or amazing, you know, friends who are volunteers and they're doing all of the, you know, they have, they live this really robust, fulfilling, meaningful life outside of work. And then they show up to work and they start following these old patterns that aren't authentic to who they are. And they almost are playing a role that is very disconnected and it just perpetuates, it perpetuates toxicity inside of cultures where the employee doesn't share freely. And so processes go broken or innovation is stifled, or it just creates a general sense of misery <laughs> and cloud inside the workforce where a whole bunch of people have put blinders on and show up to work until the day they quit at a place that takes more time than any of those other activities. Like it is such a huge part of your life. And so it matters that you can find a way to be the best leader yourself or create, or if you're an HR person, for example, that you give permission and create systems and structures inside of your company that allow other people to go, oh, I can lead in a connected way. And it's actually better for business. I think that's the kind of critical piece there too, is that it actually is better because you'll have more loyal employees. You'll have, you'll have more productive employees. You'll have employees who are willing to say the hard thing that you need to hear about the culture because they're not scared of you. They feel cared for and they're a part of something bigger. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the key. So, and you said something, you said, you said a lot of things in there, but one of the things I, I love about like giving people permission, I think that's where HR can really help facilitate creating a space for leaders to explore who they are. You know, you talked earlier, Adam, about your personal experience of becoming the person that you saw exhibited before me. You know, in a, in a lot of these systems, these more hierarchical, historical institutions that have leaders have grown up being exhibited more command and control, more disempowering environments, and that's what they know. 
So they've never been shown another way. Now that's, that's definitely shifting, right? I mean, I think you and I can both look at over the last few years and the research and the work or, you know, so many incredible thought leaders and Brene Brown's work around vulnerability. And there certainly is more of an openness to it. But what we have to do inside of our organizations is use the organization as that space for growth and learning. Like that can be, it can be such a great breeding ground for leading like a human. Exactly. And I do think there is a a movement toward this, like you're saying that, and it's expanding. I mean, I think for me, some of the most fulfilling work that I'm doing right now is when I see this in environments where it has been more of that traditional industrial revolution, like a factory floor and really getting all the way into that, the manager on the, on the third shift at a factory floor and how they start their uh, weekly meeting. Those principles exist in that environment, just like they exist in, in any other environment. So I, lo- I love when it starts to spread across industries and you see those principles at play and how they are creating, how, how they are improving team dynamics and team performance too. So let's go back just a bit. You talked about um, diving into entrepreneurship, being thrust into management. You've used those words over and over. And in the book, you know, you, you talk about uh, becoming a pastor literally overnight <laughs> and joining up with Santiago to forum Blue Bridge. And in both of those, like you, you hadn't anticipated that happening. Like you, you didn't set out to be the pastor or to start Blue Bridge. The, both of those opportunities came to you, but you stepped into them and you talk in the book about uncertainty and you know, you really leaning on your wife for support and guidance and talk through the stepping into it, leaning into it. Because in both of those situations, you could have chosen not to lead, not to move forward. Why did you? I do think that there, those moments were moments to run or to say no or to, or to back away. And I, I think just being willing to say yes and being willing to grow. And I think that's really been what it what it's been for me. I think early it was that, and I talk about this in the book pretty honestly. I had I just hadn't really been pushed um, until until those moments. And what I when I look back now, I say when I'm growing the very most, it's when I'm in those uneasy situations, and yet I still say yes. And and I do just to you know talk about my wife for a second, but I do think because our personalities are so different, she's such a steady. She she is more systems and structures and, you know, all of these things. So having, having that partner has created a lot of safety for me to also, and, and someone who saw me, who I was, even through all of those different seasons to have a 21 year old at your house with, a, I had a three and a four year old and he was like, Hey, quit your job and start a business with me. I just graduated college last week, but to have, to have someone who knows you well, who, when the door closed, he walked out the door. This is when he's pitching the very original idea to me. And she said, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And so to have have a support like that, someone who sees you and believes in you, it, it does give you kind of the courage to, you know, make some make some bold decisions, too. Well, she truly is a partner in all of this and you're leveraging her strengths and her support. And what's what's interesting is she she went on her own. We both st- got into neither one of us were entrepreneurs. And then we both started businesses within 18 months of each other. So it has been a really it's been a really great experience, I think, for both of us to kind of be be there, you know, be, be a shoulder for each other. And any entrepreneur that's listening knows that it, it, it's a, it can be a lonely journey at times. 
<laughs> so it is nice to have a support and resource. Yeah, lonely, lonely and hard. The leadership challenge is a daily personal one, isn't it? There's a story in the book that really resonated with me. You talked about, and you mentioned this earlier, that you'd never given a sermon before. And then all of a sudden you found yourself up in front of your 250-person congregation giving giving a sermon. But you talk in the book about what you did after that. And you found this dark closet and you just sat in the closet and had a moment, a little, a little mini breakdown. And um, the realness of that just really shone through for me. And it's, it's what you're talking about here in the tough moments, saying yes anyways, but also just allowing yourself to feel oh, that this is hard. Yeah, and you a uh, mini breakdown is probably is probably a kind version of it. I it's funny as I was like trying to think through in the book, like what is an okay thing to say here about ugly cry, um, <laughs> but but what it was was that moment, that kind of catalyst moment where you recognize I am truly stretched right now, and yet I'm still saying yes. And I think that and and at times in those moments, like it is it is overwhelming, and and so I th- and I think. The reality is for any, I mean, everybody responds to emotions differently. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a regular crier, but I'm definitely still, a, it could happen. But I think anytime, if you're a leader, that moments like that happen, you're, you're actually remiss to try to stuff that stuff it away. Like it's, it's wiser to go back to that question I said earlier, like, what is there to learn? Like, what is it trying to tell me? What am I learning right now from, from this reaction? Well, and like you said, I mean, it is overwhelming. You you are such a passionate, charismatic, expressive person. It's like you, it needs that all of that emotion needs somewhere to go. So, giving yourself the space to let that out, the and the detoxifying property and those tears is is part of the process. That's right. There have been a lot of growth moments for me in that dark closet, just allowing myself to feel what I'm feeling. The because truth truth emerges for certain. I love that. I am. You said I am truly stretched right now and I'm still saying yes. This is a time where a lot of leaders are stretched right now. What advice would you give to leaders right now who are leading in the midst of challenge? What's the most important guidance you could provide? When COVID started originally, like, so I call it Tom Hanks day, or I don't know what, what day you're supposed to call that, but you know, um, Tom Hanks kids diagnosed or with, with COVID. And that night I just, I realized for myself, I said like, work's going to be different. And, um, that was the very, that next day was the last day we, we were in our office before we went fully remote. And that night I actually wrote, I wrote a letter to myself that was, I called how to, how to make decisions in times of uncertainty. And it was really initially just a guide for me to say, Hey, you're about to enter into an unprecedented season where you're going to be faced with a series of challenges where there's no blog for, there's no book for, there's no mentor who's already been through this exact situation. And so I would say for leaders, like the number one thing, and, and it just talk through the things that, that it's meant for me is how to make decisions in the midst of uncertainty. And the keys for me, at least that I, that I've been trying to grow in th- through this season is one, trusting healthy rhythms, making sure I actually am in a healthy place. So am I sleeping enough? It's all, it's the basics things, but it, it actually, it's hard to maintain during seasons like this. So um, am I sleeping enough? Am I following my critical morning routines? Am I exercising? 
but probably the one that, and this is such a simple thing to think about, but we spend so much time consuming during crises that it's like information overload. And then in some moment out of nowhere, you have to make a big decision that there is no playbook for. And so I think the one thing I, I've been trying to do every single day is a 20 minute walk. I don't bring my phone with me and I just think um, and I just give myself the space and permission to make my own decisions. And I think if I follow that general playbook, trusting, trusting wise counsel, consuming um, information, taking care of, of myself, but then making sure I give myself space that then I can make a bold decision. And then, and then the last piece I think on that for others that are listening is when you, if you're a leader, when you do make a bold decision, part of leading like a human is being authentic and sharing why you made that decision. It's not just making a decision and telling other people. It's, it's making the decision and then sharing the inputs and the considerations. And then, and I think, I think people will find their employees are way more willing to follow too. They understand that leaders have to make tough decisions right now. Yeah. Thanks for that guide for making decisions in the midst of tough, tough situations. I particularly appreciate the, the giving yourself the space to make your own decisions. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of voices that are competing for our attention right now. So it's important to, to give ourselves the space to find the, the still small voice within for certain. Adam, thank you so much for, for your time today and all these incredible insights. I was so lifted up by the sneak preview I got of the book this week, Lead Like a Human. As a student of leadership and someone that definitely shares your passion around developing leaders, I've, I've read so many books in my day. And the thing that I really appreciate about this one is how you connect your personal story to the message. So you are certainly modeling the way there in, in that, like all of the things that you talked about today, how to create that robust culture what to do in those challenging situations. Like you you share through your personal stories how you have done that. So there's such an authenticity in your message. And the way you connected all the dots. So I, I highly recommend the book the book and encourage our listeners to to check that out. Tell us about the book. When is that going to be launching and how can we learn more? Yeah, well Andrea, first thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I'm humbled that you read the book and it was fun to have it, someone early read it and, and get some feedback. So I really enjoyed uh, the discussion. Um, the book comes out September 1st and it'll, it's available on Amazon. So you can, you can buy it through Kindle or get the, the print version there. Um, and I am really excited to, to share it with others. I think it's, you know, it's, it's the book, but it's also that foundation of the concept, right? That, that we're on a mission to try to, to try to grow. Yes, absolutely. And you provide a lot of practical takeaways for leaders for how they can do just that. That was kind of the, the big thing for me was making it more of like a, I, I was originally going to call it a permission guide to lead like a human, like just really practical. Um, it's not a super I mean, it's you know, it's not a super long book. You can get through it in about, you know, maybe under two hours. But the idea was just like, what are the actual basics? And, and most of them are things people know, but maybe need a nudge to actually do or to actually reignite those type of things. That if you're even if you're a manager, you should be able to follow along those steps. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.